friends, welcome back to Introverted Improvisers. In this Spotlight series, I like to highlight how improv shows up in the lives of others, as well as showcase a topic of interest and skill of a fellow improviser, highlighting how our uniqueness contributes to magical improv results. In this episode, I speak with Jeff Miner probably one of my longest known improvising pals. He goes back to my earliest studies of organic, slow, improv from the heart style of improvising, which I first encountered at Pan Theater in Oakland, California. Jeff's troupe there, Liquid Mind, of which he is a founding member and was also a troupe in which I had the pleasure of participating in many years ago, recently celebrated their 10th anniversary of their first show on September 23rd. Congratulations, Jeff and Liquid Mind. In speaking with Jeff more in depth about himself, I was delighted by the small details that further filled out my knowledge of him. With a large age gap between him and his three older siblings, and having a family that liked to communicate and debate, Jeff grew up with very advanced references, like enjoying being told the story of his high school age brother's science video for bed, or pulling out the dictionary at dinner when arguing semantics. This probably resulted in his self-described overachieving straight-A, goody-two-shoes persona in his childhood years. And all of this, in my mind, certainly adds up to his master's in philosophy. Side note, this is the fourth philosophy degree I've encountered in a very small pool of interviews. Maybe improv is what you do with a philosophy degree. Now, what do you do with improv? Anyway, my impression of Jeff, as long as I've known him, is that he's always come across as incredibly thoughtful. I feel very grounded in his presence, as he's not a run-of-the-mouth kind of guy, though I also happen to enjoy that type of energy in other situations. Jeff is quietly warm, as if gasp, maybe he were some kind of introvert, and he has some super artsy references, especially to music and especially to jazz. I feel like if I brought up any topic, he'd know something about it. So it didn't surprise me when he offered to talk music or philosophy when I asked him if I could interview him, but it did surprise me that he said he would also talk math. What? Like, what does that even mean? What's his math background? If you have that kind of brain, what shows up in your improv? So I jumped on that idea immediately. So let's meet Jeff and figure him out some more, starting with his five slashes, the things with which he's identifying currently. So Jeff, what are your five slashes? How would you describe yourself five different ways? Um, well, good, good question. Im- Improviser is pretty high on the list, so I'll just go ahead and put it first. A thinker, what's a good word for this? I don't know. A community member? Um, an artist? And an appreciator. Hmm. Could you expand more on appreciator? I was dating a woman many years ago now. Um, and... She used that term of me because I put a lot of effort into appreciating art and music and people and theater and, you know, all of that. Um, and I just thought, oh, yeah, that, that kind of hits it because, because I guess, you know, if you're going to have a philosophy of life, which, you know, you don't have to, you don't want to, believe me. But some of us feel compelled to try and understand life that way. Um, 
I think one of the things that it's important to do is to appreciate the world we're in, in all its aspects. I mean, from forests and rivers and mountains to, uh, you know, Picasso paintings and, and uh, Beethoven symphonies and jazz players and improvisers. That's like, Jeff, you're so deep. It's like, (laughs) (laughs) I'm not throwing that word around with Jeff, by the way. I have to share this clip that came up in a surreal storytelling circle I'm holding, where we often pass questions in the forms of metaphors or analogies to get us speaking less literally about the world or ourselves and get more into symbolic representations and a dreamy, whimsical world inside our brains. Here's an example of a very philosophical encounter with Jeff. If you could live out any Disney movie, what would it be? <laughs> Ooh. I, you know, the, the first thing that came into my mind, and I think I should just take that and run with it, is Pinocchio. Really? The, the quest to become a real person that <laughs> has always resonated with me. Do you want to expand on that for a sec? Like, what do you? There's, well, I, I, it's such a, it's such a, a poetic idea as a metaphor, right? Because what, what makes a person more real than any other person? But that has a lot of power to it for me. Um, that, you know, you can learn to cut the strings and work from within yourself and learn to be a better person and and become a real authentic human being instead of just what you were taught to be. Damn, that's deep shit. (laughs) (laughs) Because yeah. And you know, he, his nose grew because he lied, you know, be authentic. Don't lie. Let go. Cut your strings. Right. Jesus Christ, Jeff. (laughs) (laughs) And while that had a little levity, something more touching and emotional I had to include before getting to the cold, hard, calculating math stuff was something that came up very early in our conversation when I asked Jeff a preliminary question about why he started doing improv. It turns out his improv curiosities and over decade-long practice came out of a period of deep grief. While Jeff mentioned that these days he is somewhat of an open book on his grieving experience and process, I decided to keep the details private such that it remains his story to tell for anyone that asks. I think it is worth the conversation. So here is his resulting journey from that period. I decided I needed to get out more and socialize with people. I was looking for stuff to do that would get me out of the house. And I, you know, I took a few classes here and there. And then I saw this, this, it was like a one day improv workshop. And I thought, that sounds really intriguing, but it also sounds really scary, but it's one day. So if I hate it, I'll just never do it again. You know, no commitment. And I, I was very apprehensive, but there was this one moment where I was doing an exercise with this, with this woman and like real emotions started really coming out in both of us. And I was like, holy shit, I need to do this more. This is, this is something serious. Um, and uh, not too long after that, I found Pan. And, and once I took classes at 
at Pan, it was like, oh yeah, these guys, these guys are trying to get me to that place. Um, which I think might not have been the case had I taken classes at some of the other theaters. So that got me out. But I was also in, you know, this very, very difficult emotional space because of that. Um, the grief was like right there, ready to, you know, ready to go. Um, and the thing that I really liked about improv was that I felt like I could use that 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 improv allowed me to express some of that uh which felt good for me and felt like it worked for the improv as well i also felt that essentially going through the the grieving process had kind of broken me open in a way and that i was much more able or maybe compelled <laughs> to express my emotions. And I realized that that in fact was a good thing. And I wanted that crack not to completely seal up. So I was looking for activities that would help me keep that open. And improv was improv was clearly going to help me do that. Yeah, that's well, that's really beautiful. Cause it's, it's interesting. We're going to talk about something very like logical and um, I've always known you to be sort of an emotional, philosophical, uh, grounded improviser. And I would always think, well, if, if you have that kind of um, analytical brain, you're going to be a game player and a joke finder and a, and a boom, right. boom, boom, point out all the, everybody's flaws. Right. Um, so, I mean, if, if you don't mind, that's kind of like a perfect segue, but I don't want to stop you from, you know, expressing anything else about that journey or path, you know? No, I think that's, I mean, it'll come up on its own if there's more. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for sharing. And I know there's no easy segue here, but let's get some insight into that math brain. What I'd like to do is, is start with how is math a part of your personal journey? And then how is math a part of your life today? Well, in terms of the journey, um, I was always a good student, teacher's pet, straight A's, all of that. Um, and math to me, and I know, and I know this doesn't resonate with a lot of people, but math to me was the easiest thing because once you understood it, you were basically done. Um, Whereas, like, if you, you know, if, if you work to understand uh, a Shakespeare play, you still have to write a five-page paper. That's work, you know, <laughs> whereas solving problems, it's just like, well, the pieces fit together like this. It's like that, and it's like that, and it's like that. Um, so on some level, it was easier for me. Um, and when I got into college, it was, you know, it was it was pretty straightforward. I, I already had a leg up because I had an AP class, and it was like, oh yeah, let's do let's just do this. This is the easiest. This is the easiest thing. Math was just this like, it is incontrovertible. It is absolute truth. I'm not really sure what it is. <laughs> Air right? quotes. <laughs> and that's a that's a, a a perpetual sort of thing for me is to to follow up on people who have ideas about what would, what you one would call the ontology of math. 
uh, meaning what it's made out of. Does it just exist in our heads? Does it exist out in the world? Does it exist in some abstract, you know, platonic heaven? All those kinds of questions. Um, but as a college student seeking, you know, something to believe in, math was right there and like, look, this, this doesn't change. But then, but then you spend a lot of time with that stuff um, and it alters your, it alters your worldview. Seeing mathematical relationships and, and be able to see them out in the world um, makes a difference to me. So we talked about your math journey. So what, how does math uh, fit into your life today? Today? Well, yeah. so I make my living by programming computers. For those that don't understand higher math, that might not seem like that's the same thing at all. But um, what goes on in, in college would be upper division math has nothing to do with adding and subtracting numbers. I mean, you occasionally have to add and subtract some numbers, but um, it's, it, it's, it's not arithmetic. It's not even necessarily algebra, um, but it's these, it's these abstract structures that interact with each other in certain ways. Uh, and it's your job as a mathematician to figure out how they interact and how they don't interact, and then to prove that that's true. That process is mentally very similar to designing computer software. I did do some programming in high school. I'm old enough that we were actually doing it on punch cards, good old, the good old days. Um, and in these, um, I'm not even sure what the proper term is, but, but earlier computer languages like Fortran and BASIC. And I found it really tedious. And a lot of it felt like, like bookkeeping, so I didn't really pursue it in college. Um, and then later, someone invented what's called object-oriented programming. And I went, oh, this is the way it should have been all along. This makes perfect sense to me. This is like doing math. And, and so in object-oriented programming, what you're doing is you're, you're designing these abstract objects. That's why it's called object-oriented. And... We don't obviously want to spend time on a tutorial on object-oriented programming here. So, but, but, but basically, it's very similar to what you're doing in math, only you, can, you design the objects yourself and you design them to a purpose. Then it was like, I have to do this. Uh, and uh, took a class in Java, got my first computer job basically on the strength of having a math degree and being really interested. And also it was just like, oh, this is great. This is, it's fun to do. And I get paid. So it, it was fulfilling. It wasn't like a, like a, oh, this is a day job. Like you felt like you were. Yeah. Yeah. It was like being handed uh, puzzles to solve mm. or like building with Tinker Toys or Legos. Mm. Um, it was like somebody came to you and said, okay, you know, You've got unlimited Tinker Toys. I want you to build a working windmill that will actually pump water. 
and you solve the problem and you can tell that it works. It's right there in front of you and you can tell that it works and it's, uh, it's very satisfying. Would you say you're like a puzzly kind of guy? Like you very definitely, very definitely. I have, I I have puzzles within reach. (laughs) Oh, you do. (laughs) (laughs) So about that, does any of that brain, that sort of math brain get, poked or prodded by improv or do you see improv as just being that's a separate world is there a crossover there that's a really good question um i don't tend to do a lot of improv that's about math i'll (laughs) I'll grant you grant you that but i guess in a way it's kind it's kind of like what i was saying earlier about math that it changes your worldview and i think it's i think the skills, the mental skills that I've developed in relation to math do help with improv. I can be in the scene, but also sort of stick a periscope up and say, well, if, if my character does this, I can see where that goes. But if my character does this, I have no idea what will happen. So we should go this way. At least I feel like the ability to stay in the scene, keep the scene going, but then also look at the bigger picture without breaking character um, in some way that I can't really explain. That that ability is is similar to some of the things that you have to do in math and in and in programming. So could you define yourself more as a details guy or a big picture guy or? I'm happier with the big picture stuff than the detail stuff. Um, I can get really obsessive about details, which then can, can feel like that's not a good place to be sometimes. Um, But yeah, I guess I lean towards the big picture, but, but I also understand that, you know, yeah, if you don't fill in the details, you're the only one who can see the picture. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things that I like about improv is that it forces me in certain ways to marry the two because I learn that, okay, if I don't provide details, no one knows where we are, right? I have to do locate locations are my bane. You know, I'm, I'm perfectly happy to do an entire show that takes place in a featureless void because it's, because <laughs> it's, it's about, people exchanging ideas and emotions and all of that. But, but it all takes place in this empty nothingness. Um, and I recognize that that's not, that's, that's not a good way for most people. Speaking of which, like, so I have that impression in my head, that sort of a stereotype of what a mathematical person is. (laughs) So I've, I, you know, I think they're like, uh, you know, big on analysis and big on game playing, Right. Uh, how do you, has, for example, how do you feel uh, in games of scenes and things like that? Are you attracted to them? Do you ever play them? Do you get them? Sometimes I get them. Sometimes I play them. That's not my focus. You know, it's to me, the relationships and the characters and the emotions, that's the important part. Part of that is my own uh, 
attempt to compensate for the fact that I do tend to lean towards the, the analytical and the cold and the unemotional, or at least that's how I think of myself. I believe I may have changed somewhat over the course of my life, but somewhere my self-image is of that nerdy math guy. And, and I, I still feel like I want to work against turning into that guy. That is so weird. I don't see you as that guy at all. Like, thank you. I guess I, I guess it's working. I guess, you know, we all develop mental habits and ways of approaching the world. And I think it takes, you know, until you're a certain age, you don't even really think that maybe, maybe the way I do this isn't the way other people do this or, you know, and all that. And so one thing that I am aware of is that I do sort of plan things out in a way that a lot of, a lot of people don't. Um, and that's also, you know, that's a, another thing for imp- improv is, is, is great because it's like, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Turn, find where that's coming from and, and, and try and turn that off. And that's been kind of revelatory for me, too, uh, about improv. Yeah, and that's probably why improv is also a joy because you cannot predict what right. somebody else is Right, doing. right. And you, you know, you can, you can do, like I was talking about the Periscope thing. I mean, you can do a little bit of, well, we're in this kind of scene, you know, we're a husband and wife and we're arguing. So there's a few obvious possibilities of where this could go or what could be motivating this or, you know, so you can kind of see that, well, I could take it this way and I could take it that way. But then your partner says something and you're like, oh, well, that, those are all off the table now, (laughs) you know, um, and, and that's kind of refreshing. So we've talked about like how having a math brain can work for improv or how improv can uh, relieve your math brain. Um, but do you see like any crossover? Does anything in math remind you of improv or vice versa? No, I, I almost feel like they're diametrically opposed in a certain way. Math doesn't change over time. Math is eternal. Um. You know, it's not first you have two, then you have two more, so then later you get four. Two plus two equals four is is a structure that exists. And and improv is all about time. It's all about flux and change and unpredictability and where is this going to go? I mean... You really do learn spontaneity, which sounds almost like a contradiction, but it's it's there. So they're kind of they're, they're yeah they're kind of opposites in that way. You don't you don't you don't want to be all the way on one side or the other. You know if you're too if you're too artsy fartsy liberal, not liberal uh, uh, liberal arts yes. Um, um, you don't have the critical thinking and analytic skills to to see bullshit when it's presented to you. Mm-hmm. But if you're too analytical and and uh, you know rule focused, you miss out on all the fun. Not all the fun, because there's fun in that. But but you miss out on all this other wild, wonderful stuff that the human 
brain can do. Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. And that's true. I mean, I actually Those things reason- go together a, a lot. Beauty and truth. Well, thank you, Jeff. That was uh, super, super fun to get to know that part of your brain. Like, I kind of wonder if you speak so like beautifully and eloquently because you are used to condensing and uh, simplifying and then putting it out there, but you're also artistic. So you're like, you're like an artistic robot. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, how do you always say the perfect things? I think Jeff has indeed done a perfect job of speaking to the benefits of improv to perhaps even the most reluctant of curiosities out there. He's shown how freeing it is to his analytical mind and how helpful it has been as a tool of relief emotionally and socially. I'm so glad I met Jeff and hope you enjoyed getting to meet him too. Check out Jeff's audio prob with this week's set, which explores his wonderful character range from silly and superficial to eerily sincere. All four scenes start with the same line, and the last scene is a monologue. Finally, if Jeff has convinced any of the mathy brains out there to come out and play, contact us. We'd love to hear your voice, and we've totally got your back.